Before we begin today's show, I'd like to say a big thank you to today's Castaway sponsor, TK Maxx. I'm so excited to be part of their Give Up Clothes for Good campaign, which raises funds to support Cancer Research UK for children and young people. And you lovely listeners, you can get involved too, because I know you've all been doing clear outs of your wardrobe over the last few months. So just drop off a bag of your pre-loved quality clothes, accessories and homeware at any TK Maxx store. Your items will then be sold in Cancer Research UK shops and all the money raised funds research into cancers affecting children and young people. Not only that, but you'll also be giving your pre-loved items a second life by diverting them from landfill. Win-win! Thank you, TK Maxx, for sponsoring this episode. We've all fallen under the spell of my next guest, one half of mother-daughter table manners duo, the incredible, the charming musician that is Jessie Ware. I absolutely love the chemistry and the humor and the joy that uh, Jessie and her mom Lenny have as they cook delicious food and enjoy down-to-earth conversations with their incredible guests over 10 seasons so far of Table Manners. They've had everyone from Lean Payne to Kylie Minogue, which just goes to show you how great they are at making people feel like they're at home. I was lucky enough to speak with Jessie about the success of Table Manners, her career as a musician, as a mom, and and how she's found working in the industry. Of course, we'll also tap into some of Jessie's favourite podcasts, including Dolly Parton's America. Love this one. The Guilty Feminist has also been on the show. We've had Deborah on the show at the very beginning of the year. And How to Fail, to name just a few. Now, Jessie puts forward a real mix of shows from music and culture podcasts to podumentaries, as Jessie calls it, that really teaches us a thing or two. So kick back as we get Castaway with the one and only Jessie Ware. Jessie Ware, welcome to Castaway. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm all right. I'm recovering from a summer cold. I'm all right, though. I'm supposed to be writing my book and probably doing lots of other things. And I am watching Selling Sunset and <gasps> RuPaul's Drag Race all stuff. So I'm really not doing anything that I should be doing. We're totally going to go off subject now, but I just got into Selling Sunset really recently and had Christine Quinn on my radio show. (gasps) I know. Was she charming? Yeah, I actually think like, because she's kind of plays the villain, but I like her. I think she's the brilliant anti-hero to the show and we love that. She's a tough girl, but she was bullied and that's why she's kind of got this hard skin. But yeah, I'm obsessed with her wardrobe. I'm obsessed with her Mm -hmm. one-liners. I will talk about podcasts soon. I feel like there should be a podcast about Selling Sunset. But uh, yeah, I'm so obsessed. You're you're a fan of reality shows though, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, look, I love Love Island. Mm-hmm. I love Drag Race. Yeah. I'm very much into Selling Sunset. I used to be quite a big Towie and Made in Chelsea fan. I mean, yeah, like, yes, I'm a big reality TV fan. I love uh, kind of getting into people's personality and what you listen to, what you're reading, because it's never what we expect. Like Jessie Ware now as opposed to Jessie Ware with the first album. I feel we know the real Jessie now. Well, it's funny because I think I almost like, in my third record, I feel like I gave more of myself Mm -hmm. and kind of autobiographical writing away. However, I think actually the podcast has really been the thing that's really given me away and shown my personality. So yeah, there was this kind of, I I hid behind metaphor and lots of things like that. And then Mm. when I got to third album, I was like, no, I'm going to maybe just tell the truth a little bit more. But I think it kind of simultaneously happened with the podcast happening where it was, you know, mum and I shouting at each other over spaghetti bolognese or whatever. And people were really seeing me and it was a real chance to show my personality, which I don't think I'd ever really been able to do through my music, even though my songs don't really show this the real me in the sense of my character and my personality so yeah I think I've definitely shared too much absolutely but I do blame the podcast for that what made you do the podcast it was a bit of an escape from doing just music I was feeling quite frustrated with just feeling that I was confined to music look I'm very lucky that I get to do music as a job Mm -hmm. it's a magical job which doesn't feel like a job a lot of the time but then also feels like the most kind of painful emotional thing in the world as well so the podcast was a chance to just explore a different avenue and to 
talk to other people about their stories. I was so bored of talking about myself. Mm. So the irony is, is that mum and I do talk about ourselves quite a lot in it. So I acknowledge that. But yeah, it was just a chance to have chats and use food as an excuse. You know, it's a strong love affair I have with food and eating. And I wanted to kind of combine those things. And I would never have guessed that the podcast would have been so successful and that we just kind of got it right. It was very much, let's have a bit of fun. Whatever happens, it won't be the end of the world. We were a bit like, it's just a podcast. No one will listen to it, so it's fine. It will go away if it doesn't do very well. And here we are, what, three years later, Mm -hmm. and it just being a big success. Table manners, I can't believe it's only three years old because I feel like it's longer. It kind of broke through before everyone had a podcast. Because let's be honest, since lockdown, everyone and their mother literally has a podcast. Oh, yeah. Do you kind of feel, even though it's only a few years old, do you feel like you're old school in the podcasting world? I look at people like Adam Buxton yeah, and my dad wrote a porno, that wonderful trio. And, you know, you look at Joe Rogan and all those people yeah. and I'm like, I have not been doing it for that long. <laughs> and I was listening to This American Life, I think. Mm. And I was really enjoying that. And then I was, I remember I was in LA and I I, I was listening to my dad wrote a porno because everyone was talking about this thing. And I kind of struggled to work out how to get a podcast downloaded and all that. I was inspired by these people. But yeah, every every bugger's got one now, eh? It's like, you really have to kind of find your thing. I mean, there's something for everybody now, I guess. Yeah. The one thing that links, I think, the, your music to Table Manners is storytelling. You're a storyteller, first and foremost, when it comes to anything through your music, through listening to other people's. Have you always been like that when you were younger? Have you always just loved stories? It's really funny that you say that, Laura. I've never really thought of myself as a storyteller. Really? Because I think a songwriter is the ultimate yeah, storyteller. Yeah, I think, I think that it's very generous of you to say, but now the thank you and I'll take it. I guess more and more, and as I'm, I'm writing a book now, I feel like, yes, I am telling stories and I love other people's stories. You know, it's the best. It's conversation. It's amazing. And then learning things about each other. And when I was younger, I think I was just incredibly interested in other people and their stories. It wasn't like I was sitting at my desk writing poetry. I think I tried to write a diary (laughs) and was too worried that my big sister would find it and rinse me. So I maybe did like two entries. I remember even when I first started my career at MTV, you'd have about four minutes with somebody, five minutes to ask questions, yeah. which, let's be honest, isn't a lot of time uh, to kind of, it's, it's a soundbite and everyone's always looking for a soundbite. Podcasts are different because there's space, mm. Jesse. How important was that from someone who's so used to people kind of wanting a line from you when you're doing promotion to be like, I'm going to create my own space where it's not just five minutes, it's however long I need it to be. It's really funny because people have always been very generous to me in like print press. Mm-hmm. But I remember it always being a bit of a a bone of contention for the for the label and uh, confusing that I wouldn't get booked for that much TV. It was always a really hard gig to get. And I get you, you have to kind of earn your stripes and stuff, but it was something that I wasn't really getting. And, and actually, I don't mind the kind of rapid chats. I quite like the energy of like, if you're at a red carpet and you've got a chat to, you know, the mm-hmm. sun and then you've got to speak to Reuters and then you've got to speak yeah. to MTV and then you've got, I think it's quite good fun. And I kind of, I get, I get high off the adrenaline and energy. And I think it's just kind of, it's madness. And I'll say some really stupid shit. And, <laughs> and um, which they're, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> yes, brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'll pull some stupid moves. I remember I was at the Mercury's when I was nominated for my first record and I was at the nomination party or whatever. And I was in a, like the step and repeat where you get your mm. photo done. And I was like, do you want a Zoolander? Should I give you a Zoolander? And I did the Zoolander. And of course, that's up on like Getty Images standard, like me just mm-hmm. being an absolute prat. So yeah, I've learned my lesson. But yes, going back to podcasts, it's the beauty of a podcast, isn't it? The long form, mm. the conversation, it goes off pieced and you can bring it back around. And I love that. And I think that for me, it's been my greatest kind of form of even though it wasn't meant to be kind of promotion for me at all it was me just trying to do something else it's been the greatest form of promotion for me and 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 people understanding me a bit more but equally for the person that we chat to you know what it's like when they do go off piece and they're like how did we get here and and <laughs> that's it the best really, it's the best bit and it's so natural and wonderful and and then you really feel like you're you're not interviewing them which is the best mm-hmm. thing right 
I have to mention your mom, Lenny, because she is incredible at doing something that I can't do and many journalists can't do is getting information from people in a really subtle way, whether it's intentional or not. And I think it was, was it, you had lean pain on and it must have mm. been around the time you had a bear with Cheryl and, and probably everyone's like, don't ask about Cheryl. And your mom is just like, so how's the baby? How's Cheryl? Like, and I just, yeah. it's so safe and it's such a, it's comes from a very different yeah, it's a very different intention. And he opened up. He gave more in your Table Manners interview than he would ever give to any other piece of press because it was safe. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny that you say that because it's Liam. And, and and actually, when we had Cheryl on, it was kind of yeah. the only form of press that she did. Mm. And she really trusted us. And I think it was because of it being a podcast mm. that she felt like she could get more of her personality back in. I mean, the, we all, I, I love Cheryl. I think everyone does. But she's had such a tough time with the press. And so for her, it must have just felt very, she must have felt, felt very protective over mm. what she was going to do. So we felt incredibly honoured that she did it with us and she felt so comfortable that she you know she was unbuttoning her jeans because she'd had too much biscuit <laughs> that's amazing she's a real um, person yeah I mean yeah exactly and I think my mum is brilliant at that mm. and I think it is that intergenerational aspect to the podcast where mums and parents can kind of get away with murder and you'll be like mum oh my god I can't believe you just asked that like please stop and she'll be like what and it's just become like the Lenny thing now. So like, I mean, if you're going to be asked a hard hitting question, it'll be from my mum and it will be by complete accident, probably because she's had a couple of roses. Who's been your favourite guest you've had on or who's surprised um, you? Who surprised me? I think mm. Anthony from Queer Eye really surprised mm. me. I thought he was going to be fully like when we've had, and this is no offence to Americans because they're fantastic that we've mm -hmm. had on, but I think there's definitely been the fact, I remember when we went and did this American New York series and people, I think, were saying yes to it because they saw our numbers or whatever, but they hadn't listened to it. So they were treating it like an interview. Mm. And it, so it felt like they were coming to do promo and we really don't want it to be like that. That's why we mm. like cook dinner. That's why we chat like... And I remember Anthony coming over and I thought he's over promoting his cookbook. Mm. He's on Queer Eye. He is a huge, huge star. He's giving us an hour before he goes to the airport. This may be, you know, a bit jumping through hoops and that's fine because he's wonderful and he's very uh, handsome and whatever. But he was so into doing the podcast and he was so up for the questions that we were asking. And he really gave a lot of himself and I was really impressed and well thankful and relieved because you never really know what you're going to get but I think um, that was really interesting and it was such fun but yeah we've, we've had so, I mean we've had so many guests now Hi. Hi, it's so lovely to meet you. I can't look at you too handsome. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful Hi. home. That oh my God, it's wow. like a shell. Oh no, it's not. No, it's terribly messy. I love it. I sit here. You sit, well, actually, you sit in between us. That's nice. Here? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I think it's so nice. You're oh my so God, sweet. you're so sweet. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't look at you. You're just... You're oh, too gorgeous. You're, you're beyond. You're even better in real life. Okay, and I'm blushing. Yeah. Like, you look like a kind of like... like a, a Disney kind of, prince. A Disney prince slash yeah. like if Marty McFly was slightly much more fitter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just like... No, he looks a bit like Eric. And Marlon Brando. And a bit Ariel. of like everything. <laughs> oh my God. Prince Ariel. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, Anthony who doesn't need a surname because on Instagram you are just Anthony. Just Anthony. Um, thanks for coming. Thank you for having and, me. And uh, everyone I've told that um, we're having you on have just been so excited. It's You have like such a huge adoration, following everything. I try not to take that on too much. I get a little, it gives me a little anxiety. Does it? A little bit. But are they like weirdos or are they, I no. feel like they'd be like quite normal ones. So I, everyone is very kind and I, you know, I, I've never experienced sort of like the other side of like being like, for example, last night I was at, uh, at South Bank and I had a little moderated panel with Jack Whitehall. Oh, and, uh, oh how wow. was his, uh, did you, and how did you find his humor? I love Jack. Okay, yeah, he's yeah. brilliant. And, um, and he was telling me afterwards, he was like, I'm shocked by how kind everyone was. Because I guess with his shows, when he's doing stand-up, people usually, like, scream and, 
like kind of oh, give their the audience the audience kind. yeah and i was at a book signing and someone at the at the bookstore was telling me how um they were like yeah like everyone is so nice and they bring like nice little i try to read every it, it, it's getting harder but i really try to you can't keep every single gift but you can like i try to read every single note because really people really take time and like mm-hmm. care and sort of like saying how they relate on the show to something that i said or one of my castmates um, and so I'm, I'm like always, I don't know, I'm like filled with gratitude whenever I like run into someone because everyone has a personal story. Mm. If you like go up to an actor, for example, or I think as a singer as well, it's probably really similar because mm. what you do is very personal and yeah. kind of like intimate, right? Yeah. And you're like sort of pouring your heart out. Yeah. Um, so when you have a fan that comes up and they're like, oh, I really relate to, you know. Like you roughly in your head, you know, the person coming on your podcast, but you don't mm. really know the way the narrative is going to flow as you're eating food. It's very relaxed. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I have to say, I don't prep. And this is not an arrogance thing. I think for me, I mean, yes, exactly like you say, you're interested enough to want to have dinner with them first and Mm. foremost. So you have an interest in them. But I kind of don't over prepare because I've done that before on the podcast when I've been quite nervous. I remember I did it with Tracy Thorne. I was almost like stating facts that about her that she knew that she about knew. herself <laughs> yeah and I was like this is way too much so I kind of I realized that that's not how it works the best for, for me anyway so yeah I kind of learned from my mistakes shall we talk some recommendations yeah it is an eclectic mix first one I want to talk about is because no one else has mentioned this this is series three and no one else has mentioned this yet and I'm really happy you did it's Dolly Parton's America because let's be honest <gasps> Dolly Parton is the one thing that unites the world <laughs> that nobody Absolutely. nobody can say they don't like Dolly Parton well this I mean have you listened to this podcast yet yeah I did actually I started like, during lockdown it must have been up at the top at iTunes it was like one recommended and I was like mm. oh that looks interesting it was I, mean, I think I heard about it potentially I feel like I get a lot of recommendations from the high-low they're always really good and I think they're quite on the money with their recommendations. But I remember, and maybe it was the same because I started it in lockdown too. So maybe mm. I'd seen it at the top of the charts too or something. Mm-hmm. But Dolly Parton's America is fantastic. Now, I didn't know that much about Dolly Parton. I'd watched her at Glastonbury. I was really fascinated by this. It's a brilliantly executed podcast, which, I mean, it's totally different to what I do what this is, I guess, it's a documentary, it's a podcumentary, mm. whatever, I don't know what you'd call it, podcumentary, whatever. So it's a real exploration into this, this journalist's interest and love for Dolly Parton and the kind of the historical context of when Dolly came out and her music, the, the importance. You know, you learn that when Nelson Mandela was on Robben Island in jail, him and his inmates uh, would listen to Jolene over the big sound and that became kind of almost like their anthem and just how she unites everybody. My favorite story on this idea actually came just moments before deadline. This morning. This morning. It was this morning. That's how how close we're cutting it on this one. Oh my gosh. Tell us about it. Totally different context than the other stories. Um, I hopped on the phone with this guy named Tokyo Seshwale. Hello. This is Tokyo, right? Hello there. I can hear you very well. Hello there. Oh, lovely. That's great. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from New York. From New York? Yeah. Where are you exactly? I'm, I'm, I'm in Johannesburg. He was a freedom fighter in South Africa during the apartheid regime. I went underground to join the freedom forces to eliminate apartheid. Apartheid was the system of racial segregation in South Africa. Tokyo joins the armed resistance movement. He gets caught, sent to Robben Island, which is a prison, finds himself in the cell directly next to Nelson Mandela, who is the leader of the entire resistance movement. He told me how they were tortured, how they were beaten. But eventually, after many, many years... He said that at a certain point, the guards allowed Mandela to play music over the loudspeakers for the entire prison. And when I asked who's songs he'd play, he said... Dolly. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Absolutely. Not only Nelson Mandela, all of us. Dolly. Dolly <laughs> the Western Dolly. Dolly sang from the heart. Do you remember which Dolly songs were played? Do you remember one well, of... I remember the... which? Yeah, do you remember one of the Dolly songs that you heard Nelson Mandela play? He loved Jolene. Oh, wow. He loved Jolene. 
I just think about a night at Robin Island in the dark when Jolene is playing over the loudspeakers. The prisoners hear it in their cells. On the other side of the wall, the guards are listening too. And both groups of people are, are, are having the same experience. No human being cannot be affected by, by, by Jolene. According to Tokyo, this song is not about love, like Nadine would say. It's about fear of someone taking your man, of, of losing everything. The prisoners feel that because they've lost their freedom. And the guards feel that because their country's changing and they can sense they're about to lose power. Both are feeling the same fear, but for very different reasons. It's a really fascinating podcast that I would listen to when I was running. And I really believe she got me to that 5K mark because it's just a fantastic, fantastic podcast. I'm the worst runner in the world, by the way. But it's just really brilliant. And it's so well done. And with such enthusiasm and research, I think it's really worthwhile. It's so interesting you say that you listen to it when you were running because that's how I got into podcasts because I used to listen to songs and I knew a song was about three and a half minutes. So I used to be counting songs. Oh my like, God, oh my- babe, exactly the same as me. Yeah. So podcasts are great. me right can- off. Yeah. So if you're listening to a half an hour podcast or an hour podcast, that's, you don't realize. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's so much more distracting when you're running. I mm-hmm. I can't do music because I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'll be like, well, this may be the extended uh, edit of <laughs> I feel last, but I know it can't be that much longer than 16 minutes. So I'm just rubbish because I'm flaking on 10 minutes. Yeah. Although I do, if I'm listening to something funny, like I'm just cracking up as I'm you know, running past my neighbors going, there's that girl who laughs at herself again. Well, <laughs> anyway, Yeah, but that podcast, Dolly Parton's America, 1.5 million downloads per episode. It won a Peabody Award, which is the really prestigious podcast award. And it took two years to make the project. So you're what's the word you use? A pod? Pod docu- pod, 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 commentary? Pod, pod, I don't know. That's it's gonna catch on. It's so catchy. <laughs> but yeah, you can see, like, first of all, he's a huge fan, but a lot of time and effort went into this. Yeah, I mean the amount of voices they got from all different walks of life to speak mm-hmm. on this. It's so excellent. Mm-hmm. I love when people recommend podcasts I haven't listened to because I just add it mm-hmm. into my list. Uh, this is one called Keep It. There's a funny story about Keep It. Love a funny story. My friend. Samantha Morgan, who is the biggest Mm -hmm. podcast nerd ever. She's brilliant. She gives me all my recommendations. She was like, babe, have you heard them discussing your album in this podcast? And I was like, I don't know what the podcast is. I don't know what you're talking about. She was like, there's been this huge discussion over whether your record is disco or not on this Mm -hmm. podcast. It's hysterical. And there's an amazing one liner. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to it. So Basically, it's a really interesting podcast presented by three people mm-hmm. and it's American and they discuss lots of pop culture, politics. And for one of the times they were discussing my album. Now, it now makes sense because when I was doing press for a lot of kind of LGBT publications in America, there was one journalist that was like, listen, there's a big Twitter for all in the LGBT community with you about whether your album is disco or not. And I was like, really? People are discussing that? Okay, well, (laughs) it's not disco, but it's definitely got nods to disco. So then Mm -hmm. anyway, so then this was, I I wondered whether it stemmed from this podcast because I'm sure they've got quite a big following. And so I listened to this thing out of complete intrigue to see what they said. And this host kind of talks about me and says, listen, like Jessie Ware really liked her. Last two albums sucked. And I was like, is she going to write a new record that's going to be fucking dull? And then she does this one and I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And then everyone's going crazy about it. And I just don't think it's disco. And they were having a right old chat and it was brilliant. And they were discussing it. And I totally took both of their points. Anyway, it kind of ended and one of them liked the record. One of them loved the record. And one was like, this is disco. How Anyway, it carried on to the next episode at the beginning. And they were like, they were like, yeah, we've kind of gotten a bit of a debate about this record and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, then there was this one liner and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but the guy says, Louis, if you can't dance to Mirage, you need to take a seat in McDonald's. 
and I kind of almost like wrote to them and was like, this is hysterical and I love this. Anyway, it just made me laugh. And so I started listening to them and they're, they're so brilliant. Even though one of them didn't write the last record, you win some, you lose some. But anyway, <laughs> it's very much, you know, current affairs, popular mm-hmm. culture and um, debating whether my record is disco. But I mean, it, it came from a place of kind of my friend saying this and then me thinking, wow, this is a really interesting podcast that everyone should give a listen to. Is Jesse wear a dame? She better not be. I don't think she. <laughs> I do. I do think we should be referring to all British people, maybe even men and women, as dame all the time. It just works. <laughs> but um, to reiterate, last week I talked about Jesse Ware, the actually awesome artist. I don't mean to say I hate Jesse Ware or anything. I just don't find her new album danceable enough. And apparently, people love dancing super fucking slow. I'm sorry. Like that's the takeaway I get from all this uproar. <laughs> My only argument is that it is very much disco. It's just not dance disco. Now, you said that on Twitter, and I can tell you thought it sounded smart. What the fuck are you talking about? Disco is about dancing, sweetie. No, disco is about a sensuality. It is about a moment of escape from, you know, the torrential downpour of racism and bigotry and misogyny and everything else that is outside of the discotheque. And sometimes there is a low down beat in some disco music. And, you know, I think if you listen to some Once Upon a Time, a love trilogy by Donna Summer, those mm. are upbeat. Those aren't Giorgio Moroder giving you I Feel Love. Those are, you know, something sensual and I'm like... The- Ketamine. Uh, I feel like, okay, well, that's an interesting point. But I do feel like the Once Upon a Time era wouldn't necessarily come on at Studio 54, for example. I appreciate the lushness of the production of this album. I just don't think it being heralded as the dance moment we needed is quite accurate. I'm I'm not I'm not happy oh. with how it was reviewed, basically. And okay. also, people were trying to read me to filth for not knowing about disco. Honey, please come the fuck over here. I'll take you through the Bee Gees catalog. I'll take you through the Cheryl Lynn catalog. I'll take you through the Vicky Sue Robinson catalog. Come for me. <laughs> White gays specifically. Definitely send it to me. One of the things about podcasts, when I talk about them in the past, and a lot of them, it feels like you're listening to a conversation. It feels like... Even you mentioned the high-low earlier on, I feel like Pandora and Dolly are my mates and I'm suddenly part of this conversation. There's one thing like eavesdropping on a conversation about something. When you're eavesdropping on a conversation about yourself, (laughs) that just reminds me of like being in the school loo and hearing people talking about you outside. It's a very strange, surreal feeling, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. Because I mean, look, in that situation, somebody wasn't such a fan. But however, I don't know whether my skin has just got thicker. And also, I think it was such an interesting debate they were having. I was really intrigued. But you're so right. And I mean, the thing is, like, anything goes in podcasts. So Mm -hmm. you don't know whether you're going to get ripped apart in one or not. I mean, you'd Mm -hmm. like to think you're not. But like, yeah, it's unfiltered, which is kind of the beauty of it. The numbers for table manners are are insane. Like the amount of downloads you have, it's absolutely insane. Is it always a shock when so many people are talking about it? Because those numbers just feel like numbers on a page. You don't actually physically see those listeners. I think I'm always kind of blown away by like our first day. I mean, this sounds really datory. I don't know yeah. if this sounds like. Um, but Over. that first day, listen, like, I mean, I mm-hmm. don't look at the stats, but like someone will tell me, be like, this was our highest first mm-hmm. day, listen. And it's really lovely. And I actually think we've created a really warm, inviting community, mm-hmm. which is such fun. And I feel like all the people that listen would be able to come around for dinner. In fact, we did do one that they came around for dinner. It was a charity one with Comic Relief where Richard Curtis and mm-hmm. Emma Freud gave the chance to come and sit in on the podcast and mm-hmm. have dinner with us. And you never know who you're going to get when somebody enters a competition like that and it was just really nice to meet people and like when we've done live ones it's been fun like they're they're a giggle and I love Mm -hmm. them and I love you know we did this cookbook and people making the recipes and telling us how many pounds they put on since making Dr Alex's (laughs) banana bread I mean it's fantastic I love I love that You speak about the community that you've created. I want to speak about another podcast that's created a community, which is The Guilty Feminist, Deborah Francis White, who is a friend of this show. But um, I think a safe space, when it comes to feminism, it's such a confusing question for people. What does it mean to be a feminist? And what I love is Deborah and everyone else in the podcast. It's it's okay to not be a feminist the way everyone says you should. She goes, I'm a feminist, but... And it's how she starts everywhere. And as soon as you hear that, you feel safe because there's no Mm. right or wrong. And talk to me about this podcast. 
Yeah, you're so right. It kind of breaks down that kind of elitism or the clique that you feel like maybe would separate you from that. So it's it's incredibly generous. And I think she, Deborah is such a fascinating woman Mm -hmm. and inspiring. And I would love to go to a live Guilty Feminist because, I mean, she's so, she's again so sharp and kind of punchy and brilliant. Mm I think that they get such a brilliant mix of like serious conversations and humor and comedy. And I do think it's like a safe space, isn't it? And I've really learned a lot from that podcast. And also the I'm a feminist, but the the things that come out, it's just, it's real and it's brilliant. So I just, yeah, I'm, I'm so impressed by Deborah and how she carries. And I mean, she has got an incredible community around her, right? Mm -hmm, It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the beauty of podcasts, isn't it? Sharing them. And I think it's, it's like sharing books, isn't it? It's kind of like book groups. Mm -hmm. I do look at Deborah as somebody that's an incredibly like strong female presence in the podcast world, which I am really inspired by. And that's sharing ideas and also imperfection. The fact that we're not all perfect, which is, let's be honest, something that is very true for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. What is your, what is your bus? What is your, I'm a feminist bus? My mum had the best one. She said, I'm a feminist, but I like to be objectified. She basically likes a cackle. She would love one. It's like I there's these builders that were like working on the road and they were like shouting stuff and I was going mad at them. And then I'm like, what happens the day they don't shout at me? (laughs) (laughs) That's the day I'm really sad. So I get I get what Lenny's saying, because it's true. And I I remember before as well, getting something. um, I talked to Deborah about this as well. I remember like talking about through the Me Too movement and like how women are objectified. And then I, someone said to me, but you are on the cover of FHM. You have no right to say that. And I was like, oh, actually, maybe I don't have a right. And then I thought, actually, no, no, there's a difference. There's different levels of feminism. You can do a photo shoot that's your choice and your control. Mm. And then you can decide I choose not to be talked to in this particular place like this. And it's those conversations that the, the Guilty Feminist has. It's that safe space where we can talk mm. about things which we haven't really talked about. I'm a feminist, but I have created a four-year-old, arrogant, white, cis male man. And uh, <laughs> he's a, only four. We don't a, we don't have this much information on this child. I'm a feminist, but I have a son so sexist that during lockdown he said to me, "All I ask, mummy, is that you find a man, do the work, and get a baby in that tummy." <gasps> he yeah. did not say that. Yes, he did say that. Yeah, he genuinely said, "Find a man." Yeah. Do the work. Get a baby in that tummy. Does he know what the work is? Well, so he's obsessed with babies. He's obsessed with them. He wants to be some sort of dad-brother hybrid. He's really into wanting a baby. He's broody. Yeah, he's broody. About two, three months ago, sometime in recent, but not like days ago, recent history, he'd asked me for the millionth time, and he's, he's kind of okay level of intelligence now he'd asked me for the millionth time how do you make a baby you know what happens to make a baby what goes on he's got all these body books he's Mm. fascinated so I thought just do what you would have wanted from your parents just give a blow by blow factual this that yeah (laughs) this that the other you know I just went through what happens physically when a man and a woman have a baby Mm -hmm. I gave a very heteronormative description of what happens and he was like whoa 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 hang on and he calls this really his kinkle he's like whoa 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 hang on the sperms come out the kinkle and I said yeah he looked so worried and he said that sounds like it really hurts I was like no 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 it doesn't that doesn't hurt and I said I think I said I mean in fact I think boys and men really like it (laughs) anyway left it at that Months later, last night, apropos of nothing, he's playing with Lego. He shouts to his own dad, not, you know, in their house, not with me there. Mummy says it's fun to get all the sperms out. Oh, no. Yeah. Where else is he going to say that? That's direct line, isn't it, to social services? Mummy says it's fun to get all the sperms out. So did his dad The context was he thought it was going to hurt. Yeah. Yes, his dad immediately messaged me. And said, what have you been telling us? What on earth have you said? I'm a feminist, but we have a cat that comes here sometimes that's a part-time cat called Damascus. And our cats, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but they're leave voters, Right, our cats. Look, we've got our territory. We don't really want other cats coming in. They don't get that Damascus is basically a big kitten. He's a year old, but he's very, very big. He's just huge, yeah. yeah. So he runs at them to play kitten games and they go, whoa, it's a mountain lion coming at us. And they (coughs) sort of hiss at him or run away or, you know, get very upset. 
And I felt so sorry for Damascus the other day because he loves them so much and he just wants to play with them. And our girl cats, Toast and Audrey, were not having any of it. And I said to Damascus, don't worry, Damascus. You stick together with Seymour. Don't worry about those stupid girls. (gasps) I was having a moment and I thought, oh, my God, that came out wrongly. But they were being mean to him and they weren't being kind and open as they have been taught. They were being mean girls. They were being mean girls. I love them very much, but they were being mean girls in that moment. I'm a feminist, but my son is so sexist and obsessed with babies that once we were eating recently, some, I think some gherkins or something was in something, and he said, is this tangy food healthy? And I said, I think it is actually. I think fermented food is good for your gut. And he went, well, I hope while you're choosing what to eat, you're thinking about whether or not it's good for your womb. <laughs> Yeah. He's like an old man at a bus stop. It's like a nasty old many gammon, isn't he? Little baby <laughs> wow. gammon. For you as someone as a female in the music industry, which let's be honest, now is doing so well, but when you look at when you look at festivals and you look at lineups. Oh my god, I saw the Reading and Leeds lineup though. Yeah. It's literally no women. Mm-hmm. I could roll off like lots of female indie artists, rock artists. Why do you think it is that way? Well, maybe lots of women chose to not do it. You never know. But I just Mm. thought we've had a pretty important year of addressing a change and trying to make change happen Mm -hmm. and and, and all this. And I just thought it didn't seem very balanced. I mean, for a moment, I was disappointed. Just just I I wasn't surprised, though. That's even worse, isn't it? But you're not surprised because you've seen lineups like that before. Uh, Was it the 1975 have said they're not going to do any festival that doesn't have a female headliner, which I thought was a nice thing to say. Hmm, interesting. So it's, it's nice to have guys as, as allies as well. Yeah, it's not girls versus guys. Let's talk about another recommendation because oh, I'm a massive fan. Scroobius Pip because he's, this is, I always think he is like the godfather of podcasts. Well, in the yeah. UK anyway, up there with Adam Buxton. But I just, I love Scroobius. Distraction pieces. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, he is the sweetest person in the world. Mm-hmm. There's such a kind of warmth with it that goes with it. I remember listening to his Kano interview mm. and just thinking, you're a G, you're an absolute don of this. And yes, Scroobius Pip has been doing it for so long. He's one of mm-hmm. those kind of, yeah, OGs of, you know, the kind of Adam Buxton. He's been going forever and he's just such a brilliant interviewer and mm-hmm. character and I think he's been so generous to the podcast world. Mm-hmm. He's probably obviously got so much out of it. But yeah, he started Pod Bible, which it's almost like a timeout for, for, for uh, well, it's a Bible of all the podcasts. And mm-hmm. there's a real generosity with him as well, with how he approaches podcasting. And I'm just a huge fan of how he interviews people. That is like a masterclass in how to interview somebody. It's a geeking out, but he's the coolest guy ever. Having that self-worth to go, no, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's hugely important. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like that that comes from just being centred. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just being centred and, and, and having, I don't know, like family so important to me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like if you take all of my compliment, com- accomplishments away from me, you can't take that away from me. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'll go yeah, to my yeah. auntie's on Sunday and we'll eat food and... I will be, you know, it would be okay. Yeah. You know, I feel like when people get lost in the sauce and it's like this thing, this kind of persona becomes like who they are and that's removed, it's like that's their everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? To me, this is who I am, but it's not my everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. One of the lyrics that really jumped out at me on the record is I ain't a gangster but I rave with them and we pop ten bottles of escapism (laughs) and that kind of get a love that 100% but it is there's that kind of it speaks to me of the kind of contradiction of success from the hood or or from the ends is where there's that there's a feeling that you need to kind of pay tribute to where you're from but then also to be able to go look I'm I'm doing me Mm -hmm. that isn't that isn't the choice I made. I'm not hating on on that, but it's not mm-hmm. the choices I made. So, and that feels like the confidence to have that comes from having that rooting in family and knowing who you are and knowing who you know, respecting where you come from, but knowing that that doesn't have to define you completely, right? Yeah, exactly. Scroobius went on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, back in 
2013, a good few years ago. And this is when he was doing, remember he was on XFM. So he had his radio show on XFM. Yeah. And I mean, he won two Sony Awards. With it. It's a brilliant show. But yeah, basically Joe was like, why are you doing this for someone else? Why are you working for someone else? Like most of your listeners, they're coming for you. They're listening online. Mm. And that's what made him start the podcast. So he left XFM back in 2014 and started Distraction Pieces. It, is it nice to, same with your platform. Like that's your platform. Like that's your baby that you've created. It's been really empowering for me, actually. And I think Mm. me, it's really made me feel like a businesswoman, really, for the first time. And to not be governed by, and I don't want to say too negatively, because I'm having a good time in music, but a load of men. It's wonderful. You know, I do this with my mother. We have a female producer. My management are involved, and they've been incredible. But yeah, there's something incredibly empowering about creating it wasn't meant to be a business, but yes, it is a business now. And I'm really proud of what we've made and because there's an authenticity with how we've done it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's made me so much more confident. I think even with my approach to how I do music now, there's something really important about this, like you say, this platform that you create for yourself and the conversations that aren't restricted by certain bits and bobs. Mm-hmm. So I am so appreciative of it. Mm-hmm. Scrooby is there who you mentioned recommendation from Jesse Ware what I love as well like I mean he's had huge celebrities massive guests on it before but he also has people like doctors morticians it's a real eclectic mix of guests so uh, a very good one right and uh, this is a new recommendation for me Human with Jess Mills well I feel like I need to give a shout out to Jess Mills because Jess Mills is a she's an old friend of mine mm-hmm. and she is a brilliant singer she was doing like zero seven stuff and she was just mm-hmm. super cool and her mother was the late Tessa Jowell who was an MP who passed away mm-hmm. her mum implements so much social justice and was a really important MP for Labour and Jess is not only a singer and a songwriter and a mother and trained as a doula, but she also is part of Help Refugees, which you've seen the Choose Love yeah. t-shirt that everyone wears. She's involved in that. And she started this podcast called Human, which is her talking about people that do extraordinary things that you may not know about. So she chose this wonderful man who started Brixton Soup Kitchen. They do brilliant things. And just listening to him about his life, he's called Mohammed. And he's now a counsellor, I think. I think he's a labour counsellor. He didn't really take school too seriously to now setting up this soup kitchen that's been incredibly important for homeless people and in South London and now going into politics. And she'll explore lots of different stories. And she's just very kind and sweet. And it's her first series. And she's just got a really interesting group of people on there. She's one of those people that you do feel like you could talk to forever. And there's something very Mm -hmm. nurturing about her. And so it makes complete sense that she's done a podcast. So I wanted to shine a light on that. You create a service that that you would want to use yourself. You're not you're not creating something for for another person. You're creating something for someone like you. You know, it's, it's, it's a resource what would you want you know? 100% you know sometimes you, it's like savings you know you never think of your savings as a pity money mm. you know it's something you put there that you can rely on when you need it and and that's for us what the soup kitchen is yeah. it's a community resource yeah. everyone goes through difficult periods of time everyone goes through stresses everyone goes through bereavement mm. and for us it's about when you do we're here to support you and and for us that's that's the bottom line She's extremely passionate. I know she had a life-changing bereavement and it kind of gave her this interest in the human capacity for transformation and development of human. And it goes back to like something that connects with all of us. We're all human, how we tick, how Mm. we deal with things. Mm. And thank you for the suggestion because I didn't know of the podcast. So I always like learning something new. She's a good egg and she's, Mm. I think she's giving her space and platform to some really amazing, inspiring voices that you may not be aware of. And I think that's what's so beautiful about that podcast. The final podcast I want to talk about is How to Fail, Elizabeth Day. Well, How to Fail was the biggest therapy session I've ever had, I think, in my life. And just everyone heard it. When I was on it as a guest, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a huge honour to be on it because I'd been listening to it. And I think, again, Elizabeth is a wonderful interviewer and I could listen to her voice all day as well. It's a beautiful voice. When you go on, you kind of have your three failures that you think of some and mine felt really crap like mine was like I can't tidy up Mm -hmm. and I felt like mine were really shit and it's just how you go from one thing and then you're talking about something else and then you're talking about some really personal stuff that you didn't think you were going to tell anybody and it feels completely safe to say it Mm -hmm. and I just think I, I really enjoyed her did you listen to the Camilla Thurlow 
episode. I haven't listened to Camilla's one. No, no. It was really Camilla. wonderful. I think that we have made it harder to fail. I think we've made failure way more visible in general for everyone. And yes, I did feel that much more so post Love Island, but I don't think that's just me. I think that that's a sign of our times, very much so. I totally agree with you about the fact that ambivalence has been squeezed out of the national discourse, it feels (laughs) like. So you're not allowed to say, I'm not sure how I feel like that, or I feel a bit conflicted about this. Yeah. You have to have a cast iron binary opinion. Yes, yeah. And then you're held to that opinion. It's because, like, it's very much true that, what is it? It's the social network where they say the internet's written in ink. Like, you can be judged on a tweet that you put up when you were 16, which might be, you know, for me, that's now a long time ago, but, you know, it could be a couple of years ago that you could totally have changed your mind on. And a lot of the time, it's important to recognize that people's opinions are a product of their environment. And I find it really interesting now, actually, talking about that side of things. So I will sometimes receive messages when people disagree with things that I have done. And it's obviously very visible in a public space. So on my Instagram, for example, and they'll open the message with something like, I am just so disappointed in you and spend like the majority of the message coming across with, with it, almost like an attacking or, or an aggressive tone. And then come to their point, which is so important. It's something that I wanted to know or something that's informative or something that might not change my mind, but make me think about it differently. And I think, when did we start thinking that the best way to engage in constructive conversation was to just sort of hammer home how, and there's nothing worse. I mean, we all had it when we were kids, than someone telling you they're disappointed in you. It immediately puts you onto a back foot And I think it's really important that we recognise that what we're saying can be much more powerful if we try and come at it with this idea that people may know and they may have decided differently to us and that's okay. And people might not know that information and it would be great if we could use those spaces in a bit more of a constructive manner. Just listening to you talk, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you just speak so phenomenally. I think it's a brilliant premise for a podcast. It's kind of got that thing that I love of a podcast where it has a beginning and a middle and an end. And you've got this kind of rooted thing of failures that you can draw back into. And I quite, I do quite, as much as I love going off piece, I do like to know, almost like if you're listening to Desert Island Discs, you're like, mm-hmm. right, I'm going to get some songs to listen to and I'm going to get some stories. I feel like that's what Elizabeth's format, without making it sound too busy and stuff, mm-hmm. it's excellent. You know what you're getting when you listen to a How to Fail. You're going to get an amazing, revealing interview, a trusting interview and learn something about somebody that you thought you knew a lot about. It's interesting listening to you for someone who's a guest on it too, because you probably went on to that not realizing, as you mentioned, like how much you'd give away of yourself and also how therapeutic it is to be so open sometimes in that space. Yeah, it was really funny because I remember feeling completely trusting. I knew that she wasn't trying to catch me out and I was saying things that I'd never said before. Yet when a journalist tried to use something that I'd said in it in an Mm. interview with me, like a print journalist, later I was like, no, 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 you've taken that out of context. And that was me speaking to a friend Mm. on a podcast in a long form. Like, you can't just take a statement out like that. It made me really believe in the long form in such a it's so important because you get to explore something with I mean she should be a therapist I think there is an unwritten rule and sadly not all journalists abide by it but like in a podcast you shouldn't pull quotes out of top context because what Mm. you say in a podcast is so and I've done podcasts before where I'd say things I've never said before and most of the time it's not used or if it is used, it's at least at least the whole interview is there for everyone to see, mm. to go back to and make their own judgments. Yeah, exactly. I, there's this kind of a safety net, isn't there, with mm. that? So, yeah. God love a podcast. Subsequently, Elizabeth released her memoir, which is How to Fail, Everything I've Ever Learned from Things Going Wrong. And it's funny because, I know, growing up, you're kind of told not to speak about your failures. You're always put your best self forward. And even with, there is a change now, but even with Instagram, like always put the good stuff up there. And it's so important to remember the bad stuff. Absolutely. It's what makes you get to the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for all these recommendations because there is some I've heard of, some I know, and some I've never heard of. If I was to come over to your house, what do you think you and your man would cook me? Let me think. Well, do you have any dietary requirements? Oh, I don't eat red meat. I'm annoying. No, I don't think that's annoying. What did my mum do? My mum did one last night, which was really nice, actually. We've just been in Greece. 
Oh, lovely. And we're kind of Greco-file. So last night we did, see if this takes your fancy. It's called Shrimp okay. Saganaki. <gasps> and it's, yeah, and it's it's basically, it's kind of a tomato pepper onion sauce where you put ouzo in. We, we put half a bottle in and we can bloody taste it. And you put <laughs> shrimps in. And what's really mm-hmm. good is if you leave the shrimps in their shells and then I think it kind of makes it slightly creamier. And and then you put feta. And usually you shouldn't really have cheese and fish. It's kind of not a done thing. So yeah. it's, yeah, feta, shrimp, tomatoes, peppers, oh. ouzo, parsley, basil. It's beautiful. So we had that with some crusty bread. And then oh. I do this thing that I'm so obsessed with that we've been having a lot of in Greece. It's a lot of feta, actually. I'm really into feta. Feta and phyllo pastry oh. with honey and sesame on top. And it is, like, blow your mind good. Oh, incredible. Um, And Grecian food. I remember, right, when I was like 17 or 18, you know, the first holiday you go away with like your pals. So we went to Greece, right? And you know the way like people drank too much alcohol and had to have their stomachs pumped and things like that that happened. Me and my friend, because we love like oil and bread and cheese, we ate so much because I just love dipping crusty bread into oil, like plates of oil. We both got really sick and we ended up having to go to the doctor and they just said that we just had too much oil. We'd had too much extra virgin olive oil. If that's a thing. So everyone else is like alcohol poisoning. That's amazing. Too much of the Grecian oil, but there are worse things. So I'm all over that meal. That is Uh, so funny. (laughs) Jesse, thank you so much. Um, Tell me about the podcast. What's happening next with the podcast? What's going on? So we... I've just launched a new season. I mean, the last season went on forever. We kind Mm -hmm. of just didn't go away. And we have some amazing guests and we're going to be able to do them in the flesh, face to face, along with a few Zooms as well. But it's going to be a much of a muchness. It's like we're not going to rock the boat too much because people seem to be quite enjoying it. Do what you do and you do it well. So stick with it. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for being on Castaway. Thank you, babe. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that. Sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. And finally, thank you to TK Maxx for partnering with us on this episode of Cast Away. Since 2004, TK Maxx customers and associates have raised over £37 million for Cancer Research UK for children and young people. You guys can be part of this incredible initiative and help more children survive cancer by joining me in supporting their Give Up Clothes for Good campaign. Simply drop off a bag of your pre-loved quality clothes, accessories and homeware at your local TK Maxx store whenever you next have a clear out and your items will be sold in Cancer Research UK shops. All of the money raised will support research into cancers affecting children and young people. Thank you, TK Maxx.